the phone rang, and the stressed-out young mother picked it up. Hello? Oh, hi, honey. It's mom. I call because I know how crazy it's been, how busy you have been with the three kids, and I just want to let you know I'm going to take some extra time to give you some extra help today. I'm going to get off work early so I can stop by. I'm going to clean the whole house. Oh, and let me know what you need for food, and on the way over, I'll stop and get groceries. I'll also take care of the baby. You have this whole afternoon to do nothing but rest. So I want you to get ready to take a nice long nap, and I'll get dinner ready for the boys when they come home from school. And actually, you can't sleep that long because you have to also get ready to go see my stylist at 4 o'clock. I already made an appointment for you, paid her in advance. She's going to give you the works. And lastly, you need to give George a call at the office and tell him that you guys have reservations at Jake's Steakhouse. They weren't at Seventh-day Adventist for dinner. And it's your father and and my treat for you guys. You have a reservation already. The young mother on the other end of the line interrupted and said, "Um, who's George? The older lady said, your husband, of course. My husband's name is Dave. Oh, is this 866-1212? No, this is 866-2212. Oh, I'm so sorry. The lady said, I'm just calling from my office phone. And of course, I know my daughter's number by heart, and I must have just misdialed. After a little pause, the young mother said sheepishly, does this mean you're not coming over? (laughs) Moms, you do so much for so many of us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope this weekend you get a call or an offer like that for real because you deserve it. Although uh, I should say that's a lot (laughs) of pressure. Uh, I don't think we're doing quite that much, be me, for Mother's Day, but we're doing some (laughs) things like that. That is quite a bit. We are going to do some special things. It is no secret that mothering is not for the faint of heart. And I think it's also important to pause, and I, and I appreciated what Pastor Danielle shared too when we handed out the roses. I think it's important to pause and note that mothers have different journeys filled with all kinds of joys and sorrows and, and different kinds of mother figures that we have. And, and I wanted to read this. I think it's illustrated very beautifully by this letter I came across from this online, online blogger named Amy Young. Uh, she herself is single, never married, beyond childbearing years, never had kids. And she wrote this. It was called An Open Letter to Pastors for Mother's Day, and it caught my eye. And she wrote it because she always felt that when, you know, this time of year rolled around in church, it just left some people out, and it wasn't really describing many of the journeys that that you ladies um, go through. And so this is her tribute that she thinks should be read on Mother's Day. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear a badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. 
we don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year or the mother of their children, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life that has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who have emptier nests in the coming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. And then she concludes, this Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. We have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. I think that's well said. So in light of Mother's Day weekend, mom's going to be the focus of the word today. We're going to take a break from the Nehemiah series that we've been on, and and we're going to turn our attention to who I think is a pretty amazing mom in Scripture. A mom who teaches us many valuable lessons of faith, and we will look at a few of those as we read some of her story in 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, looking at Hannah and her story. If you'd like to follow along in whatever format of the word you have or on the screen, you can follow the text in the New International Version. Starting off in verse 1, 1 Samuel 1, there was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, and son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas, two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of his meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in in order to irritate her. This went on year after year whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord. Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Just want to pause there for a second in the story and say that having two wives, we know from the creation story, was not God's ideal, but it happened back in those days, often if no male heirs were born to the first wife. That was how the family line progressed, how property rights were maintained. And also back in those days, many of you may be aware that a woman who was childless experienced some of the worst forms of shame. 
Women were judged, even punished if they were barren. You can imagine what an excruciatingly difficult situation this would have been for Hannah to endure. And that alone, just not being able to have a son, would have been hard enough to deal with, but she had to put up with this near constant harassing. You know, what kind of home life would that be from her rival, Penina, who constantly, in the privacy of her own home, is rubbing it in her face that she has sons and Hannah doesn't. And worst of all was that time each year where Elkanah would, would bring the family to go give the annual sacrifice and Peninnah would provoke her. In the old King James Version, it says it would pro- she would provoke her sore. You just kind of see how much, pain, how much pain that would have been for Hannah. And Elkanah's double portion doesn't seem to help the situation. And his well-intentioned words, hey, honey, don't be so sad, you got me. Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? It's kind of like one of those moments us guys often have where it would just have been better if we didn't say anything at all. I think he means well, but he just didn't have the right words to say. All that. I mean, imagine how hard it would have been. And then I read the next verse, and it just is amazing to me what Hannah does. It says in verse 10, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Here's one lesson I think this amazing mom would want us to take home today. The deeper your anguish gets, the deeper you need to dive into the arms of your heavenly father. Mothering has never been easy, but it's seen some fresh challenges over the past few years. I came across a recent New York Times article that had the headline, America's mothers are in crisis. Is anyone listening to them? And then that same article, they talked about how we've done story after story with similar headlines. It's just been this trend uh, over the past few years. And they said, here were some of the other headlines that we've had recently. Working moms are not okay. Pandemic triples anxiety and depression symptoms in new mothers. Working moms are reaching the breaking point and so on. And the article went down to, or to break down how uh, moms, like so many parents, have just been stretched thin, acting as caregivers, teachers, earners all at once. They cite how almost one million mothers have left the workforce in the last two years, with minority and single mothers among the hardest hit. And that 70% of mothers they surveyed say that worry and stress have damaged their health. There's a lot that mothers are going through lately. But of course, you don't have to be a mom to be feeling overwhelmed. Many of us are are dealing with stress and worry because of school or work or illness or a loss or a relationship challenge. And and I know that Hannah's circumstances change. And many of you know this story. You know how it turns out. And I think that after she spends time in her prayer with with God, and we're going to read that in just a moment, I would wager that she would leave that prayer time feeling very hopeful that God was going to change her circumstances. But I think it's worth noting that at the end of her prayer, her circumstances are no different. But as we will read, her attitude is completely different. 
She's got an appetite again. Her face is no longer downcast. There is a telling contrast between the Hannah who enters into prayer and the Hannah who emerges from it, even though her circumstances haven't changed. I don't know what kind of stress or worry is on your heart today. I don't know what kind of circumstances you're facing and if they will be able to to change the ones that are causing your stress and your worry. All I know is that the best way for you to get through it is to dive deeper into the arms of your heavenly father. That's what Hannah did. Let's read on in the story and see if we can get some more lessons to take home. Verse 11, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. I have to pause there, right? Even we're going to read the rest of the chapter but I, I can't help but pause there because I feel like we could spend the entire sermon just on that verse because it raises some very interesting questions in my mind. Like, is Hannah bargaining with God here? Does this teach us that if we don't get what we ask for with God, it's because we just didn't bring enough to the table to make him feel like it was worthwhile to give us what we asked for? I'll let you chew on those questions together over lunch. I tend to think that she gives this prayer because she had come to the point where this was more about God than her. And I also think that God had some timing that he was working out here, that his purpose was to wait for just the right moment to bring into picture someone who would become one of Israel's most important prophets but I'll let you wrestle again with that verse, verse 11, over lunch. Continue reading, verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. Her face was no longer downcast. That's what I was talking about, the turnaround as she emerges from her prayer. Verse 19, early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband, Elkanah, went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, then I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband, Elkanah, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took her boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought it 
brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli and said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Quite an amazing story. Many more lessons we could talk about, draw from it. One that comes to mind as I read all of her story in its entirety is that a mother's spiritual life has a huge impact on her family. It was Hannah's prayers, her faith in God, her spiritual vow that seemed to give God the room he needed to work and lead in the family. Now, this is not to say that dad's spiritual life is not important, the siblings, the kids' spiritual life is not important. But I have noticed, I have experienced in my own family that the pulse of spiritual life in the home is often a direct reflection of mom's spiritual life. You know, I grew up with my favorite pastor, hearing him every week, my dad. I loved having my dad as my pastor. But in our home, even though my dad modeled a wonderful spiritual life, I can just remember time and time again, especially when I would wake up early. I like waking up early in the morning. And every morning that I would wake up, I thought before everyone else, my mom would be in her special chair with the lamp on, with the Bible open, reading and praying. I remember seeing that so many times growing up. Mom's studying, mom's doing her devotion, mom's reading the word, mom's praying. And I can remember throughout my years, you know, especially in high school and college years, periodically my mom would just pull me aside and just say, Darren, I just want you to know I've been praying for you. She'd tell me that all the time. I've been praying for you. And I can remember sometimes giving my parents some updates on just things that were that were going on in my life, didn't think it was any big deal, my mom would start crying and say, you know, I've been praying for that very thing to happen in your life. Wow. And I can remember a few years later when my mom was journeying through her breast cancer battle and just watching the way her spiritual life, her faith in God was such an anchor for her, so inspiring. I loved my dad and appreciated his influence for Jesus in my life, but I gotta tell you, my mom had a special influence in my life. And it's been amazing to now watch my wife, my, the mother of my children, do the same thing in our house. Often it's Beamy who will pull us together. Hey, we didn't do worship, we didn't do devotions together. We, we haven't had family worship in a while. Not that us dads get off the hook, but I do appreciate that. I think a mom's spiritual life has a huge impact on her family. And I love how Elkanah supports Hannah's faith and vow. It's like he has finally learned the right thing to say. Did you catch it? He says, do whatever's best for you. It's a good response, Elkanah. But this is some incredible words that he spoke because according to the book of Numbers chapter 30, a husband had the right to nullify his wife's vow. And who would have blamed Elkanah for nullifying this vow? I mean, Samuel was like 
Isaac was to Abraham and Sarah. It was like Joseph was to Jacob and Rachel. This is the wife he loved. This was the son they were waiting and praying for. Been very easy for him to say, that, I, I appreciate that you made that vow, honey, but we ain't doing that. Samuel's staying home with us. But he says, do what seems best to you. I think it's because Elkanah realized this vow came from the deepest places of her profoundly spiritual heart. It was God's will for their family. Mother's spiritual life has a huge impact for her family. And then there's one final lesson. There's many we could, we could say, but one final lesson I think this amazing mom would really want us to take home today. And that is that we are to dedicate our most precious and prayed for gifts to God, which of course was her son, Samuel. She literally gave him to the Lord. This wasn't like some five-minute baby dedication at church on Sabbath morning. She dropped him off at the temple. Now, those of you who have two and three-year-olds, don't drop them off at the church on Monday morning, all right? That's not the application we need to have for this, but maybe there's a principle here that we could apply, and maybe one of the best ways we could start to think about how to apply it is to ask this question. What would our lives look like? What would our homes be like if we acted all the time like our children belonged to God? I think it would dramatically improve the time we spend with our kids, our attitude toward our kids. I think it also would dramatically improve the time we spend with God and our attitude towards him. And Hannah had to do one of the hardest things a parent has to do as she dedicated her son to God, and that was let him go. You know, that's hard for dads to do. I get emotional just thinking about it, but I've told you many times, the Lord is coming before my daughters become teenagers, so it's okay, but, <laughs> so I won't experience it, but I, you just get emotional thinking about it. It's hard for dads, but I can imagine this is excruciatingly hard for moms. You have a bond with kids that we, we, don't, we don't have, not, this, not in the same way. It's a different kind. I mean, you can even get a sense of what that bond, that intimate bond is like as, as um, Hannah talks about, well, after he's weaned, after we've had that time together, then I'll, I'll take him to the temple. I can remember when I was an RA in college and one Sabbath morning I got a call from a mother of one of the boys on my floor in Granger Hall, second floor, and uh, she asked to speak to the RA. She called the front desk and she said, uh, this is my son, do you know him? I said, oh yeah, of course I know him, he's, he's on, on my floor. And she said, well, I, I know that he hasn't been going to church and I'm pretty sure he's just sleeping. It was like 11 a.m. Can you go into his room and wake him up and make him go to church? I said, um, Miss, I, I don't think that's really my place to do that, you know? But she insisted and, and just would not give up. And, and so I said, Fine, I'll, I'll go, go to his room. So I unlocked his door. His door was locked. I walked in. Here, sure enough, he was sleeping on the top bunk. Woke him up. Hey, Mark. Not Pastor Mark, but different Mark. Hey, Mark, you, your mom called and she. She says, you need to go to church. He looked at me and he said, oh, don't, don't worry about it, and turned over and went back to bed. The next time I was on duty on a Saturday, the mom called again. 
had the conversation. I really don't think it's my place. And she said, please, I just, I know he hasn't been going to church. He used to always go to church. Go and ask him again. So I went again, same response. She called me a third time that I was on duty, and I, I said, I, I just can't do it anymore, miss. I'm sorry. I'll be praying for your son, but I, I just can't force him to go. That's his decision to make. It is hard to let your kids go their own way, make their own choices. I think it's especially hard for moms. I could certainly understand that mom's concern. I will probably be exactly like that someday with my girls. And Hannah had to do it just after Samuel was weaned. Can you imagine just two or three years old? And in chapter two, we don't take time to read it today, but it describes, it, it seems to describe that she would only go see him like once a year as she would go to the, during that annual sacrifice time and she would bring him a new robe to wear. Now, where Hannah lived, it was about 15 miles away from where the temple was. It's like from Calamesa to Loma Linda. Can you imagine separating from your two or three-year-old? They're in Loma Linda, you live in Calamesa, and you see them once a year. That's it. Don't think for a moment that this was easy for Hannah to do. No mother would settle for so little time with her child under normal circumstances. But even though she had to let him go, she never stopped dedicating him to God. I love this quote, this insight we get from Ellen White, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 572. She said, when separated from her child, the faithful mother's solicitude did not cease. Every day he was the subject of her prayers. Every year she made with her own hands a robe of service for him. And as she went up with her husband to worship at Shiloh, she gave the child this reminder of her love. Every fiber of the little garment had been woven with a prayer that he might be pure and noble and true. She did not ask for her son worldly greatness, but she earnestly pleaded that he might attain the greatness which heaven values, that he might honor God and bless his fellow men. Even though you have to let them go, you never stop dedicating them, right? Letting go doesn't mean giving up on them. It means giving them over to the one who will never let them go, the one who is faithful, the one who loves them. It's hard to think about even more than we do. And for those of you who are here that are not mothers who don't have children and can't quite relate to that idea of letting it go, well, there are other precious and prayed-for gifts in your life, aren't there? It could be the dream job you landed or the professional program you got accepted into, the relationship that you're excited about, the special talent you have. Are you dedicating those gifts, those opportunities to honor God and bless others? But you know what God really just wants? You. He just wants you. You are his most precious and prayed for gift. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. Maybe what some of us need to do here today is, is just start seeing ourselves the way God sees us. You are his most precious and prayed for gift. 
You are his masterpiece. It's obvious that Hannah saw Samuel as God's masterpiece. But as I reflect on the kind of spiritual life this mother had, the way she dove deeper into God's arms, the deeper her anguish got, I think she also knew that she was precious to God as well. So what better appeal could I give you, family, this Mother's Day weekend than to simply invite you to take home these incredible lessons of faith from this amazing mom in the Word. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your great faithfulness, for how you're there for us, for all that you've done for us, the way your presence gives us peace. We thank you for the example of Hannah in your word, how she points us to how important it is to trust in your faithfulness. May we follow her example, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.